Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of March 30th through April 5th. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always I'm joined by Alex Plant. I love me Tomo. And Ben Lamoureux. I'm an April fool for buying new Nintendo 3DS. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, this week we got some fun stories on the news block, followed by a quick fortune street and then the lightning round. Uh, after the break we're going to head over to the Game Corner and the Mystery House. And Wow. Any new listeners out there have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's okay, because you will find out soon enough. It's all fun, all great Nintendo stuff, so yeah, stay tuned. Um, and of course, we will be addressing the recent news of Allison Rap. Uh, that is a bit more of an adult conversation than we typically have on the show. I know some of you like to listen with your youngins out there, so we're going to have that story after the rest of the episode. Uh, we'll play the outro music and all that jazz, and then just instead of the blooper, that's where we'll have the discussion. Of course, you can all choose how to go about listening. But uh, yeah, intro's all said and done. Let's take it to the news block. <laughs> So we'll open up the news block this week with some fun stories. Uh, so the producer of Street Fighter wants to see a Nintendo versus Capcom game in the same vein as Marvel versus Capcom uh, and a lot of other versus Capcom games. Uh, he says that it'd be fun to see Zangief and Blanca in Smash Bros, which got me thinking it would be really cool to see them team up for something like Capcom did with their Street Fighter cross Tekken stuff uh, and Tekken cross Street Fighter, where we get like a Nintendo cross Capcom game that plays like Smash and then a Capcom cross Nintendo game that plays like Capcom's fighting games. Yeah, I think uh, this whole idea is just really cool just because both companies have such a rich library of popular IP and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I just think they kind of have to be careful with uh, the style they choose because I, I don't know that Nintendo would be super comfortable with their characters in like a classic fighting style game, you know, just a, a standard right. fighter. But at the same time, you also don't want it to be just a total Smash clone. So I think yeah. they'd have to you know, put their heads together to come up with an interesting format that sort of caters to both audiences while still being mm-hmm. new and not just a, a copy of either one. But hypothetically, that sounds like a really awesome game. Well, but then the problem we get to is that they need to make more and more and more of them. And it will be <laughs> sad when the other fighting game series is gone. Yeah, I don't know that, that how it plays is a big issue because we've, of course, seen that they were able to pull off Smash Brothers and now they're doing Pokemon Tournament. And I think for a lot of people, the prospect of a Nintendo versus Capcom game is like the dream collaboration for the the Capcom versus series. Uh, I know mm-hmm. for me, that was what I was always wanted to see when that series was in its heyday. So for sure, um, I don't know that it would necessarily be that uh, difficult to pull off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just a standard, you know, Nintendo versus Capcom fighting game. I think that would be super easy. And then Sega promoted its lead branding officer from America to the head of the Sonic brand. So with this and some other recent moves, like moving their U.S. headquarters down to Southern California to to downsizing their Japanese staff, it really seems like Sega is making a push to westernize more and more. I wonder if this means that their uh, social media guy has uh, some more clout now that the... (laughs) The American branding people are in charge. Now, he has um, better ideas than a lot of them. Sega will just become a professional agree. meme company. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of joking, but I was kind of also serious and also kind of not totally positive on that idea because while I really love <laughs> that attitude in the social media space i would really hate for that to be yeah no the right. way the company it would make behaved. for terrible games yeah 
Um, and then Star Fox fans rejoice because Game Explained posted over 20 minutes of footage from Star Fox Zero, showcasing boss battles, uh, the game's hard mode, and tons more. There's a playlist of videos that you can find embedded in our article, or of course you can find the videos on their channel as well. Um, and then both Star Fox Zero and Star Fox Guard got a new trailer, a slew of new screenshots, and some other minor gameplay details were announced. So, you know, you can check that stuff out at Amnesia if that interests you as well. Um, one piece of information that I've heard from people who have uh, have access to the game already that you two might be interested in is that apparently there's a control setup where the motion controls are disabled unless you're holding down the ZR button. Interesting. And I know since you guys didn't really care for the motion controls, at least in the way they were always on uh, at the demo we played, I think that that might work better for you guys. But um, you have to be holding down the ZR button at all times? Only when you want to use the gyro controls. Oh. They're not, the motion controls, controls are disabled if you're not holding down ZR. When you hold down ZR with gyro controls enabled, does that give you no gyro controls? I don't think so. I think this is an extra mode okay. for people who like want the more traditional Star Fox control scheme. Okay. But then at the same time, um, yeah, you know, and they've then said you can get the refined gyro controls for those moments that really need it. Right. Okay. Like when an enemy is kind of out of the frame of your normal aiming, uh, your aiming yeah. radius. That sounds like a really so good compromise. I think that that'll alleviate a lot of you guys' concerns. Uh, hopefully, it'll make the game easier to get into for people who struggle with the for controls. Sure. And now the question is, why not just make that the main mode? Having God. not had the trouble you guys <laughs> had with the the default controls, uh-huh. um, I'm I'm can definitely see why that's not the main mode. Well, for but. me, it was less about the the motion controls and more about the uh, the screen switching, like the forced screen switching, was what messed with me. Yeah, well, because you needed to use the motion controls for a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, that's, they they kind of yeah. go hand in hand, but it was really just like right. jarring to have to keep to yeah. be forced to look back and forth because the the camera literally makes you do it. So yeah, yeah, agreed. I'm also hearing that that's not so much the case in the final game. So that's good. That's that's actually great to hear. Yeah, you can you can still target bosses, but you're not required to. So cool. That'll be that'll be good. Cool, cool. One of the bigger stories this week is that Mitomo launched in Europe and North America. Massive success. It quickly became the most downloaded iOS app in the U.S., both on iTunes and Google Play. It's got over 1 million downloads on Android and over 3 million users worldwide. For perspective, that's already more than Super Mario Maker has. <laughs> uh, and this is like two days. Uh, and for Nintendo, that's only the beginning for Mitomo. They're going to you know, look at how people are playing Mitomo and evolve the game or app or whatever over time uh so more updates coming um you know a few years down the line mitomo could look way different yeah, and that's kind of been their message from the start when it comes to their mobile games is they don't want to just you know release mm-hmm. a game and then move on to the next and you know just scoop up some players quick they're they're looking to evolve them as services over time and to keep people engaged so i'm yeah. i'm interested to see what kind of ideas they come up to do uh, they they come up with to to do for mitomo mitomo because uh it it does feel a little bare bones to me. It's enjoyable, and I'm sure we're going to get into that later in our uh, game yeah. corner segment. But it does feel a little bit bare bones. So I'm I'm hoping that they really stick with what they say and continue like 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 they did with Splatoon, where they regularly add interesting, engaging content. Right, for sure. 
All right. And then alongside Mitomo launched My Nintendo, Nintendo's new rewards program. So that is now live in both Europe and North America. Uh, if you're a previous member of Club Nintendo, you should get an email that entitles you to 200 platinum points. And right now they've got a handful of digital rewards like Twilight Princess Picross, uh, WarioWare Touched as a 3DS download, discounts on games and DLC from the eShop, stuff like that. Uh, and in the future, Bill Trinan says that they may offer rewards for physical game purchases. Um, so you can go to the stores, get a game, get a code, just like you did with Club Nintendo. Um, and then the other thing that people have been talking about is that your My Nintendo coins expire after six months, which is a little ridiculous for a loyalty program, but at least the silver lining is that it automatically spends your oldest coins first when you redeem rewards, so you don't need to worry about managing them, you just need to make sure you're redeeming them to Nintendo often enough. I've actually been really surprised by how generous just Mitomo by itself is at giving you uh, coins. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I already got Twilight Princess Picross just from all the stuff I did in the yeah, first couple of days uh, with Mitomo and Club Nintendo and all that stuff. So I I think they just don't want you to be racking up so many points over time between all the different right. ways you can rack up points. But to be fair, the vast majority of those points came from registering for My Nintendo, linking Mitomo to My Nintendo. Um, there are lots of one-time coin offers. Mm -hmm. The ones that Mitomo offers daily add up to maybe like 100 coins. So, Yeah, but that still adds up over you know a period of six months, for example. And, you know, that makes sense to specifically reward you the most just for, you know, firing the app up and linking it to all your various different accounts and then, you know, mm -hmm. sort of a, a trickle of points from then on because they do really want to encourage as many people as possible to download these apps and then to start using them to interact with Nintendo's other services. Yeah. For sure. And, of course, we have to imagine, too, that there are going to be more apps down the line. Probably all of them are going to offer you yeah. some kind of uh, My, My Nintendo yeah. points. Mm -hmm. So if you're using... Most of Nintendo's apps on a daily or even weekly basis, you're going to rack up points really, really fast. Yeah, that's true. So suffice to say, um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not as negative on the coins expiring because I feel like I'm uh -huh. going to have more coins than I know what to do with anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's true. But I see that as an opportunity to introduce really big prizes and not just say, you know, here's 15% off Mario 64, which should be 100% off for how much I've already bought it. Yeah, the rewards so far have been kind of... Kind of lackluster. I'll agree with that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Nintendo has launched a new eShop for web browsers alongside all this stuff, too. So you can access the eShop from your computer, mobile devices, and the really cool part is that you can actually buy the games from the browser eShop, and your 3DS or Wii U will automatically download them from wherever they are. Uh, on the downside, though, I've noticed that it's really slow to load this shop. Uh, it has some features like the, the wish list is missing, um, and somehow it doesn't have the full catalog of digital games. I, I have no idea what the criteria for that is. Like, it just randomly seems to not carry some virtual console games, for example. Um, I don't know if that's an issue with navigation, or if they're just not there, or what, but uh, either way, they've certainly got some work to do here yeah I, I wonder if nintendo sort of ran out of time to get this finished and wanted to make sure they yeah. had it out in time for uh you know mitomo's launch and my nintendo's right. launch but i i sort of see this as a testing period and they have from now until just before the launch of whenever nx comes out to really get this right because right now they haven't nailed it yet it's a step in the right direction but there's there's improvements to be made yeah 
so for me, I haven't actually tried out the the web eShop yet. But for me, I think the barometer is going to be: is this thing as performant as the PlayStation Store is on web and mobile mm. devices? It's not. I, I don't doubt that it's not. But at the yeah. same time, people are not exactly impressed with the way PlayStation Store performs on the web <laughs> in particular. So. Um, uh-huh. Uh once this thing kind of matures a little bit, I think that'll kind of be the bar to hit. Yeah, agreed. And hopefully it's sort of a framework for whatever kind of eShop that the NX has too, because like we said in the last episode, it's weird not having that parody, the 3DS eShop being completely differently organized than the Wii U one. Yeah, yep. All right, well, short news block. That is all the significant stories. But uh, we are going to briefly head over to Fortune Street. We got some news about mobile revenue forecasts. So let's head over to the Fortune Street. All right, welcome everybody to Fortune Street, a segment where we discuss recent updates from the more businessy side of Nintendo, from their financial status to sales data, various tech projects, stuff like that. Uh, this week, we learned, you know, mobile gaming took its crown as the number one gaming market in 2014, uh, and in 2015, we learned this week that it widened its lead significantly. Mobile gaming now accounts for 40% of all revenue in the gaming industry, and it's growing faster than PC gaming, console gaming, and certainly handheld gaming. Uh, there are a lot more statistics that this study found, so you can check those out in greater detail at Gamnesia. But I think the really big takeaway here is that if you're scared of mobile gaming, you're going to need to get used to it, because not only is it here to stay, for sure, but it's only going to keep eking out traditional gaming more and more. And as mobile gaming evolves, like we were talking recently about what the NX controller could potentially be, if stuff like that, if those kinds of ideas are successful and AAA games, really robust, feature-rich games, control-rich games, can work on mobile and work really well, I mean, there you go. There goes the console industry. But hypotheticals aside, the, the question is, with the AAA industry in such chaos right now, can mobile gaming and traditional gaming coexist? Um, I have no idea where our discussion is going to go, in part because it's just such a dynamic industry, and the onset of mobile is probably the most radical shakeup since consoles broke up the arcades. But I do want to bring it up because these kinds of questions are the ones that I'm sure Nintendo is asking themselves right now, and particularly as they bring their games into the mobile space with DNA, as they design the NX or their next handheld or whatever it is that they're going to do, etc. So I think there are kind of two dimensions to that question. One of them is, is mobile gaming really a threat to traditional gaming? And the answer is kind of. Not um, now. It could be. Well, it kind of is right that's, now. That's where because the kind of is. Because in a way, what we've been seeing this generation is that the only people that are really turning out for these new consoles are the the sort of hardcore players, which is why you tend to see, this isn't always true, but you tend to see that it's those big, huge, AAA, like, big industry games that are succeeding, and all that kind mm. of mid-tier stuff is either bombing or having a hard time uh, making up profits right. or justifying sequels. Right. Um, and that's not a dynamic we've had. Uh, in particular, it's a very, very drastic departure from the PlayStation 2 era, uh, which is really the era to beat in terms of uh, attracting audiences. A lot of people say sure. last generation is the generation to beat, but they forget that last generation was kind of this sort of historically low sales period for everyone that was not Nintendo. Uh because mm-hmm. those Xbox and PlayStation sold a lot combined, but they took like 10 years to get there. Um, right. 
And who knows how many people bought multiple consoles uh, as multiple uh, red rings of as death. multiple models came out. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other dimension to this is, you know, I think there's one part of the discussion that we're leaving out, and that's indie gaming. Indie mm-hmm. gaming mm-hmm. is, in a lot of ways, sort of a, a third pillar alongside the AAA industry and the mobile industry. Um, they're not making games with huge budgets. They're not making games necessarily that have big production values. But at the same time, they're not making games that are strictly for, let's just say, casuals is what some people would say. But but the audience that's on mobile. They're making games that are for gamers. Not necessarily hardcore AAA gamers, but gamers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think mobile is eating into the console market in that there's people saying, oh, I don't need to buy a console, I have a phone. Right. But I think what is going to happen, and you know, it's probably already happening, it's just going to continue to accelerate, is that there's going to be less young people you know, graduating, or le- less young people growing up and buying consoles because they grew up with phones, they maybe didn't grow up with a console, but they have a phone yeah. and they have a computer in their house, and so they can already play games on their computer, they can already play games on their phone, why do they got to go out and buy another $400 box? So I think you're going to see... Uh, for lack of a better term, less sort of recruitment to consoles going forward, just because there's going to be less kids growing up with consoles in their home. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. Uh, and especially that's especially true when you consider that a lot of the games that are most popular among young people, like Minecraft, for example, don't require a console in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we see that kind of continuing. We don't see a lot of big breakout games that are huge hits among kids. Uh, not anymore. Right. And I know some people may, you know, say, especially because this is a Nintendo podcast, some people may come out and say, hey, well, Splatoon, Splatoon's really popular. It's at 4 million units sold, which is good for Nintendo. That's actually that's, pr- that's not... actually pretty good for a new IP as well, but it's not... Yeah, but... W- it's not going to save the console industry. It's not a real moneymaker. It's not yeah. what's... Yeah, right. It's not what's going to keep those kids buying Wii Z and Wii... Now, or... if you get a bunch of those, that might, that might generate some momentum in that direction, but... But by itself, nah, certainly not. Right, right. All right, well, so that's our little look at mobile for today. Um, now it is time for the lightning round. <laughs> Quick segments today. Um, so we've now arrived at the beloved lightning round, where we bring you little nuggets of information from the past week. If you want to read more about any of these stories or any of the ones we discussed earlier in those other sort of newsy segments, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page you'll see all these links. Alright, so first up, recent releases and stuff that is now available for you. On the Wii U, you can get Mario Super Sluggers and a colorful shooter called Lovely Planet, both out now on the eShop in North America. Meanwhile, Super Mario Maker got a Starfy costume in Japan. On the negative side, Nintendo shut down Wii Street U and Mario Kart TV's online portal. Um, For 3DS then, Jirachi is now available over Wi-Fi Mystery Gift for Pokemon players. As for Nintendo-wide things, not console-specific, we got Mitomo, of course, new Nintendo Rewards program, Twilight Princess Picross, WarriorWare Touched as a 3DS download, and the new and improved browser eShop. We also got to see the Pokemon Variety Show in Japan, which said it would show footage from Sun and Moon, but alas, it did not, so you missed nothing there. Um, But if you are interested in Japanese things, you can now watch the Yokai Watch anime on Netflix. Then we got a bunch of upcoming dates to look out for. April 9th, the Video Game Orchestra is performing an official Capcom concert in Boston. April 14th, the beta for Bandai Namco's adventure MMO, Lost Reavers, opens exclusively on Wii U. 
April 15th, Korokoro will reveal details on Pokemon Sun and Moon. April 15th, A Link to the Past, Super Metroid, and Donkey Kong Country 2 all launch on the 3DS Virtual Console in North America. Bravely Second launches in North America, and five Nintendo Selects are coming to Europe. And September 30th, Sonic Boom, Fire and Ice launches in Europe. Then finally, a rundown of all the smaller things that happened this week. Nintendo's shutting down the DSi shop next year. A Canadian retailer says Nintendo stopped producing DS game carts. We've got footage of Medley in action from the Hyrule Warriors Legends panel at WonderCon. Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer was the highest grossing handheld game of 2015. Which again brings me back to that question, why not an Animal Crossing game on Wii U again? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, they may be factoring in the Amiibo card sales. I'm sure they are. Like, I, but... I can't imagine they're not, because otherwise... Anyway. A new 3DS cover shows us Mirror Kirby and a new Psy Kirby power from Planet Robobot. Trucy Wright, Emma Sky, and the Perceivability all return in Ace Attorney 6. The Ace Attorney anime will explore Phoenix Wright's past. And Ubisoft filed a new trademark for Beyond Good and Evil 2. The plot thickens. The Falco Amiibo unlocks a black R-Wing in Star Fox Zero that makes enemies three times stronger. I'm suddenly regretting not buying a Falco Amiibo. <laughs> well, you can, because you can now get the Falco Amiibo on Amazon. Oh. Or get it for only $5 at Best Buy. <laughs> yeah, see what I did there? Buy pre-ordering <laughs> Star Fox Zero. And if you want $10 in eShop credit, Nintendo's hosting a Star Fox fan art contest on Miiverse. Thanks, Colin. The prize is $10 eShop credit. You're welcome! <laughs> uh, Nintendo will send you a Shadow Mewtwo Amiibo card if you buy Pokémon Tournament digitally. You can get big discounts on Fire Emblem eShop games in the UK, including Fire Emblem Awakening. And you can get the Chibi Robo Ziplash Amiibo Bundle for $20 and codename Steam for just $10 at GameStop. The Pokemon Company is making adorably huge Pikachu pillows. Ace Attorney 6 is getting a limited edition bundle as well. The opening cutscene of Zelda Majora's Mask and Zora's Domain from Ocarina of Time have both been beautifully recreated in Unreal Engine 4. Other fans, meanwhile, are recreating the original Legend of Zelda in 3D as a browser game. I would love to see Nintendo do something official with the original game, but I right? will take this in a pinch. Because <laughs> um, that game could definitely use some, some modern polish and, and modern tweaks. Yeah. And, but, you I know, mean, this, I, this works. I would love that idea to expand to a lot of other sort of retro games that Nintendo has. This is actually going to tie in perfectly to something we got in the Mystery House, so stay tuned, I guess. Um, and then Smashified shows us how Crash Bandicoot would look in Super Smash Bros., I gotta say, I'm really excited that they did that one, because if there's any third-party character that I want at this point, it's Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> I know, not really Nintendo-associated, but, I mean, where else are they gonna go at this point? Naughty Dog will save us. Another research firm says NX is coming in 2016. Nintendo downsized their Korea branch to just 10 staffers, but they do not plan to shut it down. Yeah, this came following four years of consecutive fiscal losses in the region. So, they, like I said, they cut it down to just 10 people, and they've said they're gonna continue continue to release all the games that are planned to come out this year. They said they're not cutting any of them. But I have to imagine that going forward in the future, they're probably going to localize a lot less games. Mm -hmm. Nintendo's first Miitomo commercial is full of zany costumes. The original Paper Mario has a glitch that breaks the game in only 416 years. And Danny DeVito replied, what the f*** is Pokemon, when asked about voicing Detective Pikachu. And now I, I have to hope that there's going to be, like, an Always Sunny episode about this. Because it was, uh, <laughs> I think it was during, like, an Always Sunny event that this uh, I think so, came yeah. up. So I could just totally <laughs> picture Frank being like, what the f*** is Pokemon to the rest of the game. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Alright, well guys, uh, that is it for the news portion of our show, so we're going to take a quick break, but don't touch that dial because we will be right back with more awesome discussions in the Game Corner and answers to questions from listeners like you. In the meantime, please enjoy this 8-bit rendition of the famous Guile's theme from the Street Fighter series, as always by the one and only Bulby. back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. So, you won't understand this if you weren't here before the break, but who uses a dial anymore, Colin? Don't touch that dial. I don't know. And Ben Lamoureux. Yeah, I'm all out. I have nothing witty to say. So, here we are, you know, second half of the show. This is the more discussion-y type stuff. So, we're going to have a Game Corner and a Mystery House this week. Game Corner, of course, is where we talk about games and the mystery house is when we take listener questions so uh we're just gonna jump right into the game corner here let's go and here we are with the game corner a segment where we just shoot the breeze about games that have just come out or games that we've been playing lately stuff like that um so we're gonna focus on mitomo once again for the game corner this week although we'll probably try to keep it shorter since we did do one just a few episodes ago um but let's start off just by going around real quick and saying what we've been playing lately so i've been a terrible nintendo fan lately and the only nintendo game i've played in the last week or so has been hyrule warriors legends (laughs) alex alex i'm too busy playing stuff on my playstation sorry it's all right (laughs) (laughs) alex is going to be doing the review for gamnesia for hyrule warriors legends so we'll probably save our in-depth thoughts about that for another game corner another time um ben how about you yeah i've also been a bad nintendo fan um aside from mitomo i haven't really been uh playing a lot of nintendo games well i guess uh-huh. i've been doing a uh, competitive battling on smogon online but that doesn't okay. exactly count so <laughs> so uh pokemon battling and then honestly what i would have been playing a little bit recently is uh my brother dug up his old copy of warcraft 2 on pc oh, wow I was, yeah i was i was having a little urge to play some real-time <laughs> strategy and i was like do you nice. still have warcraft 2 and he totally did so i've been playing a little bit of that awesome there you go. Uh, cool. Well, um, this week I've been a bad gaming fan. I haven't really had a lot of time to play a lot of games, but uh, I've been chipping away a little bit at Pokemon Yellow. Uh, I beat Surge a while ago. Uh, since then, I've just been, you know, I haven't gotten any good moments to really play. You need to be good by the time you get to E3 so we can be rivals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't gotten any, like, real moments to play. Uh, so when I open it up, I'm usually just, like, grinding a Pokemon up a little bit. So I'm filling out my Pokedex that way. I'm up to, like, 32, 33 now. You heard it here first. Colin McIsaac is grinding up Pokemon. And, um, then, I, yeah, I, I'm on, like, stage two in Hyrule Warriors <laughs> Legends. Uh, I downloaded Earthbound on the 3DS and played about two minutes of that. Um, just because you gotta support Earthbound whenever it comes out, wherever it comes out. Um, make up for all those lost years. And then, of course, Smash Bros. You know, that's just routine. Um, okay, so moving on to Mitomo? Let's move on to Mitomo. All right, so moving on to Mitomo. Uh, we've already talked about this in a game corner before, back when I had the Japanese version. Um, so now that the whole crew's been able to spend some time with it, what have you guys been thinking about it? 
So I actually adore Mitomo so far. Um, I yeah, love the Mitomo. I love the concept of you <laughs> communicate with your friends about things that you wouldn't normally broadcast on social media or even think to bring up with them. Um, that's been mm-hmm. really great. Like even my sister-in-law, who I know pretty yeah. well, has been uh, posting a lot of things that I just really had no idea about or hadn't uh-huh. been able to ask her point blank or, or stuff like that. Hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of acquaintances and a lot of acquaintances of acquaintances that I only kind of know distantly that I've gotten to sort of know a little better through Mitomo. And yeah. that's the point of the app. And so the app has served its purpose for me, for sure. Great. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. I <laughs> I'm incredibly I know I think I've told both of you guys this, but I'm incredibly amused by how unamused I was able to make my me look. Yes. <laughs> I have a reputation yeah. for like never smiling. It's it's just kind of involuntary. I have sort of a perma scowl <laughs> even when I'm in a perfectly good mood. And I was able to uh to perfectly capture that with my me, so that amused the heck out of me. But uh the main uh, the main issue I've been having with it, aside what I said earlier, where it's you know I feel like it's kind of bare bones and it needs right. a little more to keep me engaged, you know, beyond just the first few weeks and everything, uh, is that I don't I mean, it must not be very well optimized for older devices. I have a Galaxy S three, and it uh, it crashes like all the time. I can't uh, play it for more than like three minutes without it freezing. Really? Oh, yeah. that's too bad. Yeah, I haven't um, had crashing how- issues, but my big problem is anytime I sort of have it run in the background and reload it, it takes forever to start back up. Really? I yeah, haven't what, noticed what I'm seeing from people things. online is that it on older models it tends to run pretty crappy. Not like forever, forever, but what much longer than a mobile app should take. Oh, well, what that is, is it doesn't multitask. Anytime that you go to the app, it has to load where it was. Like, yeah. it calls the server and loads yeah. back, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But that might actually have something to do with the ridiculous amount of power that the app takes. Well, I was going to say, it's, so it's rendering actual animated graphics the like right. entire time it's running, so right. I get it. So that's probably... But... Yeah. So have you guys noticed that power issue too much? You know, has that been like a problem? Or I turned on power-saving mode, and I, it hasn't bothered me since. Hasn't been a huge battery drain for me, personally. Um, mm-hmm. It is taking up a lot more space on my phone than I would like it to, so I have to clear the cache. How much is it taking up? Right now, I think I'm at 700 or so megabytes. Really? I have to clear the, I have to clear the cache every couple days, or it, it just keep, keeps growing. Let me, let me check what oh, it is really? right wow. now. Right now, it's at 652. Oh, yeah, I'm at 673. So it's flexing. It's flexing data a lot better than I thought it was. But that's uh-huh. still way too much for an app that's not Facebook. And Facebook's already too much, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, like, my third, fourth highest usage app, so... Um, yeah, and I just have the 16-gig the iPhone, so I don't have a lot of space to play with. Right, right. Um, do we have any more thoughts, or is that kind of it? So, I'm kind of with Ben in the sense that I feel it could be less bare-bones than it is. Um, I think the mm-hmm. fact that it's so focused on that social interaction is really positive for the app. However, they have mm-hmm. this sort of game feature where you can earn uh, the clothing or or candies to get more answers out of your friends. And I, I feel like it's a missed opportunity to not have games that you can play with your friends over the app. Yeah, you know, they certainly it wouldn't be very likely for them to be real time games, but there could be more of a game like sort of setup, like something like a connect Four type. Yeah. You can turn by turn, like or something kind of like Street Pass oriented, like something that's descended from Street Pass. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just kind of this, like you know, 
try to land the ball in the right slot. Yeah, right. Well, right and, now it's just a pachinko like game. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, yeah, very Japanese. Yeah, I was disappointed that they didn't have more mini. You know, I saw they had like multiple like things you could click on for the mini games, and then they were all just a variation of that. And I was like, oh. Right. Kind of expecting a little more. Yeah, I think pachinko stages. I think it would be mitigated to some extent if this friend list carried over into future uh, Nintendo mobile apps. That would kind of mm-hmm. alleviate that problem because I would have things to play with the friends. But for now, the, the fact that there's Mitomo and there is a game segment and the game segments kind of whatever, I, it's it feels like it could be a little more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I think that about does it for the Game Corner, it sounds like. Should we head on to the Mystery House? Let's do it. Let's go! Alright, we are here at the Mystery House where we answer questions from listeners like you. If you have your own questions you'd like us to answer, you can send them in to colin at gamnesia.com. That's C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. We love hearing from you guys, and you've got a really good chance of being answered on the show. Uh, we're backed up quite a bit, but we've had a great flood of new questions in the last several weeks, so don't be disheartened if we take a few weeks to get to your question on the show. Um, first up, it looks like, is a question that I ch- picked out. Uh, it's from River Gatonsby. Who asks, I know this will never happen, but I thought it would be cool if there was a 3D open world Earthbound game for Wii U. Like I said, it most definitely won't happen, but I think it is a cool topic that could be explored. What are your thoughts? So, I've always thought that it would be really great to get an Earthbound remake on modern hardware. Uh, River mentioned this in the email with the question, but Itoi basically said that he won't continue the Mother series, so new games aren't realistically in this picture. But... Earthbound's already been made, so there's no reason that they couldn't keep the series alive by giving it a modern facelift. Uh, And that wouldn't look so much like a 3D open world game like you suggest, but rather it would look and play almost identically to the original game presentationally. Um, And then the visuals themselves would be inspired by maybe claymation or cartoons or something like that. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential in giving Earthbound a modern visual overhaul, a new flair, kind of like the 3D Zelda that we were talking about in the lightning round um and you know it wouldn't be as mind-blowing as something like you're suggesting maybe but hopefully it's at least somewhat more plausible i mean this boils down to the question of are they going to find someone else to helm the mother series but i I think if they did i don't think there would be anything really keeping them from doing a 3d game uh 3d graphics have kind of gotten to the point where if you have the right tool chains in place and you don't try to overextend yourself it's not really that difficult to make a 3d game uh and in particular an rpg like earthbound Mm -hmm. is not so let's say action-y that it would need a lot of complicated physics and things like that it's very text-based and so i think if they were to revitalize the earthbound series uh, we could see something kind of akin to what we were starting to see come together with the original uh, Earthbound 64. Yeah. Uh, where they sort of start pushing it in that 3D direction, but it's not going to be any kind of groundbreaking 3D game. Yeah, I don't know if uh, either of you guys have been following Y2K, uh, Postmodern RPG much, but I could see sort of a, little uh, bit, yeah. a style like that working for an Earthbound-type game. I mean, obviously it was very Earthbound-inspired, so... Right. I think... It might run the risk of looking like an indie game, but at the same time, I think Earthbound kind of has that spirit in it already, and so I think it might be even appropriate for Earthbound. Yeah. Yeah, and especially with how popular uh, Undertale is, I think it would almost be uh, more appreciated. Right, exactly. 
Uh, Tony Wackles, sorry if I mispronounced that, Tony asks, what do you think that Nintendo can do to win back younger gamers? I feel like the current Nintendo fan base is not made up of kids, but of adults who grew up playing their games and now keep coming back to Nintendo because of nostalgia. It seems like kids these days tend to play either mobile games or Minecraft, uh, and as we get into the future, fewer and fewer people will have nostalgia for Nintendo games they probably never played when they were younger. Or is nostalgia not that important for Nintendo? Uh, so I've got a few thoughts on this. First of all, I want to say I'm like 90% sure that Tony uh, tried to add me on Facebook and I declined because I had no idea who he was. So sorry, <laughs> Tony. Uh, feel free to send that again. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have a few thoughts on this. Um, I think you're right that, you know, Nintendo characters, there's not as much power to the Nintendo brand as there used to be. There's not as much nostalgia sort of driving their sales as there used to be. Right, and certainly not within the younger generation. And I think mobile games are one way that they can uh, they can help introduce more young gamers to Nintendo IP. Miitomo has been, been strong so far, but it's not the kind of game that's going to make anyone say, oh, I need to go get a 3DS, I need to go get a, a Wii U because I want more of this. So I think they can do a lot better job of leveraging their IP to the large base of young gamers on uh, mobile platforms. Uh, And then I think another thing is to just attract people to consoles is that they need to start creating new IP that are, you know, revolutionize games or at least get gamers excited the way that games like Mario and Zelda and Metroid did back in the day. And Splatoon does And I think Splatoon... Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Splatoon is an excellent start. And you saw, you know, it sold 4 million copies on Wii U, which is phenomenal for a new IP on a... uh, a system that is not sold for crap. <laughs> but I I think, you know, you have to have a Splatoon-style game, like, every year or two, not, you know, once a console generation. You need, like, three or four Splatoons for your new platform to, to really start drawing in new mm-hmm. crowds. So I would really like to see Nintendo, Nintendo uh, create more new IP like Splatoon. And then the other thing is just a stronger marketing presence, because, like I said, I think the Nintendo brand has been weakened a lot in recent years. Mm-hmm. And Nintendo's talked a lot about doing that, about expanding into films and, and uh, TV shows and theme parks and things like that. But so far, there's been a lot of talk and not enough action. So I think Nintendo just needs to take a lot of different steps to sort of revitalize that brand and be more than just a uh, a slowly declining video game company. They need to make themselves relevant again. Right. And I think in particular, you were talking about the films and stuff. I think that's where they're really going to find the most demonstrable success for the least amount of work. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, kids are already going to animated Well, you know, I think you time. look at all the shovelware games that come out every year. If a movie is successful, even if it has a crappy tie-in game, it'll still sell, you know, a, a decent amount of copies. And Nintendo actually makes right. good games. Right, so exactly. video game tie-ins with successful movies would, I think bring in a lot of new customers and especially young customers yeah um and especially if they start out by you know doing stuff like i can't count the number of times we've talked about mario's gonna be in wreck it ralph 2 on this show but stuff like that um you know i think getting their toes in the water there that would start getting people interested in the brand again and then that's probably when they're gonna look at more seriously um doing like a really really heavy uh push for, you know, films and stuff like that. Yeah. Sort of tangentially related to the idea of putting themselves in the way of these, like, big media franchises that kids love. Uh, one really simple thing that they could do, and one thing that work has been really successful for them, but also their competitors more recently, is make sure you get those really popular games on your platform before their mm-hmm. heyday is over. Yeah. Uh, NES had Tetris, NES had tons of arcade ports, NES had, at toward the end of its life, tons of PC ports. 
Well, but it also Game had Boy. the most popular games of the day. It had Mario, it had Zelda, it had Duck Hunt, it had Mega Man, well, Final Fantasy. I'll move on to the Game Boy, which basically sold on the back of Tetris when it launched. Um, mm-hmm. So, And then, uh, to use a more modern example of something Nintendo missed out on, they missed out on Minecraft. They yeah. only just now, like five or six years, five years later, got Minecraft. Xbox had a l- Minecraft on lockdown when it first came out, and Minecraft sold, what, like tens of millions of copies on Xbox? So Nintendo needs to make sure they're not missing the boat on these franchises that are popular among really what should be their crowd. Uh, Minecraft was popular among kids. Uh, back in the day, Tetris was popular with, with women. Uh, so they're, they're getting a lot of audiences that a lot of traditional uh, publishers and the other platform holders don't really prioritize, typically. Nice. All right, so our third question, and this is going to wrap up the mystery house, uh, Sean McFadden asks, Fire Emblem Fates really changed up how Nintendo handled a game with two different versions. Would you like to see something like this for Pokemon? Perhaps Sun and Moon could have different protagonists and both have completely different campaigns, but overlap in a way. I could see them doing the third version as a downloadable third campaign in the story, like Revelations. Uh, how, How cool would a collector's edition with all three versions on one cart be? Thoughts? I'm very strongly leaning towards I do not like this idea, and the reason why I do not like this idea is because I do not think that Pokemon is or should be a story-driven video game. 100% with you. Pokemon is and should be a socially-driven game, and the way that they've leveraged versions historically is you get one version, your friends get another version, and you team up to trade in battle. Um, right. And that's worked really well for the franchise uh, in the past. That's been sort of its defining feature. Um, I would hate for them to try to morph that into more of the uh, Fire Emblem Fates business model, where they're not only trying to kind of offer versions f- that are appealing to different people, but also trying to get people to buy every single version. Because really, to have the full Fire Emblem Fates experience, you need to buy all three of the mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. And I would hate for that to be the model for Pokemon. Uh, yeah. And I love the way it is now where there's really just one game and then they make an expansion later. Right. And Pokemon, it's got that crucial difference for the two version system because Pokemon, your experience doesn't change whichever version you buy. You're not missing out on anything by not getting blue version, by not getting silver version. You are missing out on stuff by not getting whatever other version of Fire Emblem Fates there was. And the difference is that Fire Emblem Fates was originally made as one game for Japan. So... You know, Pokemon works because they just take a couple of uh, monsters Colin. and you can trade across. What's that? Colin, Fire Emblem Fates was not one game in Japan. It wasn't? No. That was, I thought that's what the whole Fury was about, is that it came out on one card in Japan. And we no, got we had a discussion that, we had a discussion, I think, that we were hoping it would not be split up into three versions when it came to America. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was rumored that it would be one game in, in the West, if I remember. Yes. Right. Really? Yes. Sorry, I think I heard you mention this on a previous episode, but I just wanted to call it out now because I'm sure that that's... Oh, no, that's... Yeah, thank you. I, that <laughs> blows my mind. I could have sworn that was what the entire yeah, controversy there was, was Yeah, there was a White Kingdom version and a Black Kingdom version. And what? that translated to Birthright and Conquest. Yeah. All right, well... Okay. <laughs> and, and I, I don't know if this is going to make it in the recording, but um, the, the going theory was that Fire Emblem was popular in Japan, and so they were trying to monetize the hell out of it, right. and we thought and then, that that wasn't going to be the right. case in the West, and then, right. of course, it was. Right. Anyway, anyway, sidebar. <laughs> so I don't know what your point yeah, will no, now be. I, I think that's <laughs> probably the end of it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> if anyone else has any comments. Call it derailed. <laughs> um, yeah, I like what you said about you're not really missing out on anything by not getting both versions because the trading right. really is part of the game. Um, you know, you have to trade to evolve a lot of Pokemon anyway. Um, they certainly want you to, to interact with other people who have the other version anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And as time goes on, as you keep getting, you know, the next generation, you're eventually going to be able to have access to most of them, if not all of them anyway. Yeah. So you really don't ever need to buy both versions. And whereas, yeah. you know, I feel like unless you really are just okay with just playing half of the story of Fire Emblem Fates, you really need to buy at least this the second game. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. Although, remember, after the outro, we're going to have the uh, discussion on Alice and Rap. So if you tune out now normally and you want to still listen to that, just remember. Um, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. We're really working hard to make the show great for you guys. So those iTunes reviews really mean a lot. And they also help a lot of listeners discover the show. So if you haven't done that, please do. It's very greatly appreciated. Uh, if you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show in that Mystery House segment, so it's a great way for you to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com and at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. And Alex, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. All right. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. On our way out, please enjoy Tucson Hits the Road, an incredible remix of the Tucson theme from Earthbound by OC Remix's very own DJ Pretzel. And remember to stay tuned after the music for our discussion. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. Here we are with our, you know, talking about Alice in Rap. This is a sensitive topic and a long story, too, so I'm going to be jabbering away here for a little bit on the details before we open it up to Ben, Alex, and myself for more commentary. Uh, So just bear with us on that. So 
Allison Rapp was a marketing employee at Nintendo of America, and those in the industry who knew her actually say she was one of the best that Nintendo's had in recent years. Uh, and she was the subject of a large-scale campaign to get her fired for a lot of the stuff that's been happening over at Nintendo lately. Um, we know she's very sex-positive, which means that she believes sex and sexuality empower people rather than demean them. Uh, she has a lot of feminist views that she would express openly on Twitter. So people took issue with this, and after about two months of that campaign, Nintendo did fire her. Uh, they say it was unrelated to the campaign and that she was found to have a second job, which is not against Nintendo's policy, but that the second job itself was, quote, in conflict with Nintendo's corporate culture. What exactly that job was, we don't know. Uh, there have been rumors that we won't get into, but she essentially said, yeah, I had a second job, I had a lot of student loan debt, and I had to do what I had to do. But of course, you know, despite being unrelated, apparently, it, this has raised a lot of questions as to what extent this campaign was involved in her firing. Does that even matter? Uh, and honestly, this incident has way too many unknowns for anyone besides Allison and Nintendo to speak on the specifics of it with much authority. But here's the situation as I understand it. So there are two big reasons that people were pursuing this whole campaign. Uh, first was a paper that she wrote in college, which essentially argued that the West was forcing cultural imperialism upon Japan, particularly related to their laws regarding child pornography, sexuality, etc. And this paper said, stop it. We should embrace different perspectives. We should celebrate that different cultures think differently. And naturally, given the subject matter, that's a really uncomfortable discussion for most of us here in the West to have. Which was kind of her point, uh, but people then took that paper way out of context, hugely mischaracterized it into essentially Western pedophilia advocacy, which is totally not even close to what she was saying. Uh, and then the other point, the other reason that people were supporting this campaign uh, is all the recent localization issues that's been going on at Nintendo. Uh, people have been getting upset over Xenoblade, uh, about Fire Emblem, crying censorship, and they thought that Allison Rapp was responsible for a lot of these changes, so they wanted to get her fired, get her out of the localization process, and get Nintendo's games back to normal. Of course, there are a few issues with that. The biggest ones being that Allison Rapp not only didn't work in localization, or even with the localization process at all, but that the localization changes people wanted her fired over are all the exact same things that she was trying to fight against. So the anti-localization movement now has also lost their greatest ally at Nintendo. Um, but anyway, let's turn this towards commentary now, and I'll invite you guys, Ben and Alex, to share any thoughts in just a second here. But I first want to say that I have been earnestly trying to find the heart of the campaign, what people are upset about, why target her specifically, and I just can't. You know, there may be very valid reason for all of this, but that side of the discussion is so overwhelmed by misinformation, willful ignorance, uh, ad hominem attacks, really just pure poison, that it's become so overwhelmed that any valid concerns that may exist are now practically invisible. And that's why so many prominent voices in the industry dismiss it as harassment, as a hate campaign, because once you know the facts, like that she wanted Xenoblade's boob slider, for example, there doesn't appear to be any motivator besides hate, and there doesn't appear to be any goal besides harassment. So a message to anyone who stands against Allison or localization or against whatever enemy you find in the games industry, Arm yourself with real information, not gotchas. 
If you have genuine concerns based on principle, not hurt feelings, then you'll be able to legitimize your point that way. The worst thing that you can do for a cause is to let it be overrun by angry, misguided crusaders like so many of these discussions are nowadays. If you don't like your opinion getting you labeled as a sexist sack of Poy. then you need to stand up against the sexist sacks of Poy. who are championing your opinion. Because right now, they're beating you. Trying to figure out where I should insert myself. So I uh. think, <laughs> I think in terms of my thoughts, maybe I should go through the sort of not go through the timeline of how this came out, but kind of go through the, the facts kind of in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess we'll start with the campaign because that's where you ended. Uh, so that, that works out pretty well. So the hate campaign, I mean, I think obviously this mirrors a lot of discussions that happen outside of the gaming world. Uh, in politics is a, is a particularly good example. Of Do you a mean parallel. mirrors or is directly sort of related to? Both. <laughs> Okay. I mean, mirrors, obviously, in the sense that you have people who will grab a soundbite or take something out of context and use it to completely destroy a person's career. Like, that's obviously a mirror. Yeah, I mean, I think a large part of, especially internet culture nowadays, is just getting really outraged over the stupidest truth. Um, sure. There's, and there's being really loud that, about it. And of it, sure. Know, ch- yeah, and so, I mean, I think e- even not specifically when you have a bad viewpoint, just letting yourself get too mad about it is where the damage really is done. Because yeah, a lot true. of people are just losing their rationality here. Yeah, the viewpoint is not so much the issue. It's more the tactics that are used to try mm-hmm. to enforce your viewpoint on others. Absolutely. Well, and that's that's sort of the opening message of the uh, the paper she wrote in college back in 2011, is that when it comes to issues like this, it's hard for people to have a rational discussion because, you know, it's it, like you said, it's an extremely sensitive topic. Right. So, it, you know, people can have a hard time sitting down and talking it out or, or doing the full research. They tend to form an opinion quickly. And I think, you know, just one of the unfortunate things about that is that the Internet has really facilitated this environment where you can get really mad about something really quickly and then do more about it and just let it snowball with other people, with other information that you find out of context, um, you know, and it just gets to be this big problem like this and someone gets fired over it. Well, right. Sort of, right? Sort of. So getting to her firing now. So I think, I think Nintendo may have had legitimate reasons for firing her. I think so too. Like, I think the fact that someone who uh, on Twitter is representing herself as an employee of Nintendo, uh, who is also talking about topics that Nintendo certainly doesn't want the representatives to be talking about directly with the public, uh, that would be enough to get her fired. Now, on the other hand, I don't believe that any of this had really come across Nintendo's radar until this hate campaign started. Agreed. And Agreed. also, that's not even the reason they're citing for firing her. The reason they're citing for firing her is the second job. Right. I think that's partly bullshit because they're saying that that's in conflict with Nintendo's corporate culture, which is usually code for you did something in public that we don't like, and so we're getting rid of you. Well, but, I don't know. Uh Given what, you know, people are talking what the second job might be, I can definitely see why Nintendo would say, we don't want this person working for us. This is not someone who has a public image that matches what our company's public image is. And, and I guess that's fair. Um, but that really gets back to the point that it's not the fact that she has a second job. It's Agre- yeah. what she's doing as someone who publicly represents Nintendo. Right. And even if 
you know, even if it is a, th- a thing where they they think the fact that she's holding a second job is against corporate culture, that's a problem in and of itself because your comp- your your employees need to be able to take care of themselves. Yeah, um, she said, you know, I had a lot of student loan debt. I had to do what I had to do. That's not right. a direct quote, so don't direct quote that. Sure. But, I mean, you get my point. It's sure. not a great world right now. <laughs> People have to make money. And that's really the, the disappointing thing about the situation is there's really, even given that Nintendo has legitimate reasons to fire her, uh, given the circumstances and given the context, there's really no way for them to come out of this uh, scotch-free, I guess, is a good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. Because... Like, with the, the controversy itself driving the the hate campaign against her, it, it almost seems tone-deaf for them to fire her based yeah. on what she's saying about, about sexuality. No, completely. Even if they're firing her based on what that other job is, I don't even know what the rumors are. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to appear to be a force against this hate campaign that targets women for their viewpoints then don't fire women because of their viewpoints. Yeah, um, like, I, I mean, I was going to say, the message that Nintendo's sending here really is that you can get anyone fired over any bullshit reason, whether or not it's even valid, as long as you get the internet angry enough about it. And like we said, you know, there's sort of a snowball effect on the internet where people can get way madder about things than they ever, ever, ever should. Um And it's true that that's probably not what actually happened within Nintendo, like we've been saying, legitimate reasons. But the uncomfortable truth is that actions speak louder than words. So no matter what they say about standing up against this kind of thing after they fire her, if they don't actually stand up to it, which they didn't at the time, and they haven't since, then what they're really telling people is that anger and fear and bullying works. And it doesn't even have to be justified, it has to be loud. Yeah. Yeah, they're putting they've put themselves in a really awkward situation because on the one hand it's like, okay, I understand why you wouldn't want, you know, the decision that someone's making that's unrelated to your work supposedly affecting right. your public image. Right. But then there's no way that this decision to fire her doesn't affect their public image. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So they 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 really were kind of screwed. They were they were basically blackmailed into making a decision about her and they one that I don't think they considered it, seriously enough given no. you know what this now represents no given given the climate around it um i mean yeah. i think if had the circumstances been different and they fired her i don't think there would be a big stink about it but right given the circumstances um right they kind of deserve the heat they're getting even if even if it's they're totally innocent they they had to be aware of how people would see this right yeah um it's not necessarily about guilt just maybe blindness i guess yes yeah All right. Well, uh, I think that covers it just about well. So thanks for staying tuned, guys.